Welcome to Writing It, a podcast by Ed Adams. The Triangle, episode 16. Dirty Money, Here's How to Clean It, a novel by Ed Adams. Secure Grip As Claire and Bigsy left Darren Collins' Zurich apartment, they said to him they thought he may not be safe staying there. If they could find the location, then so could others. Collins said he'd been very meticulous with his camouflage plans and that he'd spent a great deal of money setting up his identity in Switzerland. No one could find him, and it was because he had given the information to Jake that had made his location traceable. Claire and Beasley didn't look all that convinced about Darren's cover story as they left the apartment. They had enough information now to go back to the UK police and to start getting some protection set up for Jake, as well as for the pair of them. They also had information about a serious money laundering ring, which they were confident would create interest from the UK police. They decided it was time to make their way back to the United Kingdom, but now they were reasonably sure they had not been followed, they would speed their return by catching a flight from Zurich's airport. They left the apartment, hailed a taxi and climbed in. Another taxi pulled up outside the apartment. Lee Claire did not notice Manners getting out, and Manners did not see either of them. Their own taxi moved away as Manners moved towards the apartment block. Manners quickly located the apartment from the website address and first pressed the buzzer for Suite 9. Is that you again? came a voice and the buzzer clicked as the door opened. It was too easy. Manners was now on his way to the apartment which he would see if he could enter undetected. As Manners approached the landing he saw someone looking out of a door of a room which he realised was the apartment he was tracing. Hello, he said. I'm looking, and then he realised the person he was talking to was Darren Collins. At the same moment, Darren recognised Manners. It was too late. Manners had Darren in a secure grip. He pushed him into the apartment, and holding his head down on the floor with his one hand, Manners glanced around the apartment. Right, he said sharply. Do as I say, or I will start by breaking both your arms. Darren agreed to comply, not sure at this point whether he had any options. I'm going to ask you a few questions, continued Manners. I need the truth. Manners released his grip on Darren, but stayed alert. Darren saw his angle. OK, agreed Darren, but consider this. I have a substantial amount of money hidden away in a computerised system. I don't know who you work for or how much they pay you, but I promise you I can beat just about any offer. In return, I need to know that you will work exclusively for me and act as my protector. I don't need you around full-time, but I need to know that I am safe. Manners was astonished by this situation. Here he was, grappling with someone he thought was already dead. He was there to find out whatever secrets had been hidden and to take the information to his masters, who were themselves part of the underworld. The person he was threatening was trying to bargain with him. Bizarre, but on the other hand, the emotional response of the person he threatened seemed real. Manners was going to take some minutes to decide the course of action. In the taxi, Claire and Bigsy were commenting to each other how good they were at getting at problem-solving. Darren Collins had told them overtly about how the money laundering worked, and also how the cells were linked together only as needed. This gave a remarkable resilience to surveillance, hacking and other criminal pursuits. Because Darren had identified two of the business cells operating adjacent to his own cells, he could perform cross-checks of who owned what. At Zurich Airport, Bigsy and Claire waited for the plane and talked about the whole situation. 
They needed leverage to try to build a position protected from threats to themselves or to Jake. The information about other Blue Flame nodes could be the basis for their protection. They needed to get a situation where they could declare their hand and not be derailed by other possible assailants. Brophy considers a new name. Amelia Brophy had chosen a small and rather exclusive hotel for the roundup of the Russians and Saudi Arabians. She wanted the event to create damage and some casualties, and she was going to arrange that she was apparently included in the ensuing carnage. The Russians already thought she was dead, and the Saudis would do so as well, but her actions would also eliminate some of the people who had been aiming their bullets at her. This situation had become personal. She had, she had checked the venue, which had several important features. There was only one primary forward way in. There was a short glass tunnel canopy leading to some manned double doors. Inside there was a small and discreet lobby, and the other side of the lobby was first a bar and then a restaurant. The whole place was dimly lit, and the focal area was a large cocktail bar area. At maximum, the bar would hold 12 tables worth of sofa-sitting guests, and the restaurant around 50, with an area near the back which could be screened off. Her plan was simple. She would invite both groups to the restaurant on the same pretext that she had the data uh, that they required. She would find a way to introduce them to one another, which would be like lighting the touch paper on a giant firework. She could not predict whether there would be an immediate violent interchange between the two groups or whether they would discreetly leave and avoid confrontation. She needed confrontation, was arranging her luggage to be in the lobby at the time of the meeting. This luggage would be slightly heavier than usual because it would contain four kilos of Capex high-energy plastic explosive, which she could detonate with a mobile phone. Her plan involved leaving the place around the time that the two groups discovered one another. If they fought directly in the hotel, it was a result. If they tried to leave, it was also a result, because she would, in both cases, be detonating the Capex and creating a creator the size of the restaurant cocktail bar. The ensuing devastation would have taken out most of the Arabs and Russians, along with a number of innocent bystanders. Included in this group would be a Ms. Amelia Brophy, complete with passport and other identification. She would then be able to resume one of her other guises away from the mess of the situation. She decided that she quite fancied a poetic-sounding name. The plan was pretty simple, something she preferred. The Russians and Saudis were already on the move from Riyadh and from Cannes. High above this scene twinkled a low-Earth orbit satellite. It had been monotonously tracking five Saudi Arabian mobile phones for several weeks. A trigger alarm now created an email in Langley, Virginia. Four of the Saudis were on the move, together, to Riyadh's airport, and then after going off-air for six hours, the signals had reappeared in London. Another email flipped across to GCHQ, Cheltenham, UK. The monitoring post for UK counter-espionage and terrorism was about to activate some special forces.